Hey, it's time for Unshakable once again. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. We are in the final episode of our series on Christian nationalism. Thanks for hanging with me all the way from the beginning up until this episode. I appreciate that. So I've talked a lot in this series about the public aspect of gospel ministry, and I've made it clear that I think Christian nationalists don't have it right, which leaves this question in our final episode, well, what am I suggesting? Well, here's the question I want to ask. Should Christians be influencers of society? And the answer is absolutely. We are never told in Scripture to be quiet about what we believe or to be quiet about the ways that we think coming under the Lordship of Christ would benefit society. In fact, quite the opposite. I want to look at a passage from Paul in 2 Corinthians 2, which I think sets the tone for our discussion today. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, Thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to the one an aroma from death to death, to the other an aroma from life to life. So did you catch that? Wherever we go as Christians, we are a fragrance. To those who are being saved, who are hearing the gospel and embracing it, we are the smell of grace and life. But to those who are enemies of the gospel, to those who will not bow their knee to Christ, we carry a very different aroma. It's the fragrance of judgment and death. And by the way, because of that, that's why we're always going to be hated by a segment of society. But either way, we are to be a fragrance in the culture. So wherever God has planted us and whenever he gives us an opportunity to speak, we should speak. And we have a lot of biblical precedents for this. For example, if you look at Acts chapter 17, Paul travels to the city of Athens in Greece. It's a place that's very hostile to religion and is going to be hostile to this new idea of Christianity. So Paul arrives, does he, does he stay in the shadows? No, he goes straight to the Areopagus and he brings these new idea, this gospel, and challenges the philosophers of that day. He speaks up. In fact, throughout Paul's ministry, on all of his missionary journeys, every place that he went, he would set up a, a place to do ministry, a location where he could engage the public in preaching and teaching. But notice once again, as I've been sharing throughout this series, as Paul was engaging the public from these ministry locations, he was not calling government to change. He was not even calling the broader culture to submit to God's law. His aim and his goal was to influence the minds and the hearts of the individuals that God brought to him to whom he could preach and teach. Now listen, I agree with those who are promoting Christian nationalism in this sense, that any society or culture that would come under the Lordship of Christ or bow to God's law would always be better off because God's ways are always better than the world's ways. And I would also selfishly love for America to do that, to become more righteous, that would benefit me and my family. And we should do what we can to pursue that. But how do we do that? That is really at the heart of this whole debate over Christian nationalism. As with all things in the Christian life, the motivation, the reason we do things and how we go about doing it is so important. We have got to do things God's ways, according to His will and His purposes, not according to our desires. 
So as we speak up, as we step into the arena and we put our Christian ideas into the marketplace of ideas, we don't do it with the motivation of trying to grab hold of the reins of power of government to reshape society. We don't do it with the goal of trying to make America a more Christianized nation. And we also don't put our ideas into the marketplace in order to coerce people to come under some government-induced a code of behavior that has no saving power. The correct motivation for doing public gospel ministry has to be threefold. Number one, for the glory of God. That's always above all things. Secondly, love of neighbor, to, to be concerned for those who are lost around us so that we're influencing them with the truth of the gospel so that they might come under the Lordship of Christ and truly be saved. And third, to simply be faithful to the gospel mission that we were given by Jesus in Matthew 28. It is our job to go and to do, but we leave the results of our efforts up to Him alone. Now, important question. Do I believe that Christians can take public office or enter into civil government and influence from within? And the answer is absolutely. I think it is amazing when somebody chooses to go into public service that way, to step into their role, especially if they want to influence things for the better from within, I'm all for that. And there is no biblical prohibition against serving in the government. And yes, when Christians choose to do that, to, to take public office or to go serve within government, they should be guided by their Christian faith and a biblical understanding of what is best for society. They should not shy away from that. And yes, if it's possible, such a person should take every opportunity they can, using wisdom, of course, understanding the context, should declare that, yes, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, and yes, my faith informs my political views, because we can't separate those things. First and foremost, we are Christ followers. So let's plug this into a practical example. Let's use an obvious one. We'll talk about abortion. Uh, every Christian agrees that abortion is murder. You're taking the life of the unborn. And that's a clear violation of the Sixth Commandment, which is repeated in the New Testament, so that's not a question. So yes, based on that conviction, Christians, whether you're in government or you're not in government, should absolutely pursue laws that protect the life of the unborn. That's a no-brainer. And we should speak that opinion into the public square and seek to influence others to see why we're correct on this. And we should use every tool that we have. We should use the Bible. We should appeal to man's conscience and his, his inner sense of morality. And yes, we should even cite the science of pregnancy when it comes to development of life in the womb. And the same principle applies on all the other issues that we're dealing with right now that do have you know, practical ramifications on our culture and society. So whether that's all the ways that we are tearing down the traditional family, all the, the, the chaos and confusion around sex and gender, the proliferation of aberrant sexual practices, especially those uh, involving children. All of these things and more need to be confronted by people of faith. And so engage the culture by all means, whether you're within government or you're outside of government, engage the culture and attempt to influence for the common good. Proclaim biblical truth against the evils of this age. Vote for people, candidates, and policies that line up with Scripture. This is something that every Christian needs to be doing. What I've just described is not the same thing that Christian nationalists are after, which is establishing a government under God's law, under the Lordship of Christ, 
built to pass explicit Christian laws that turn a town, a city, a state, or a nation into a Christian commonwealth. That is not what the Bible describes. That is not the right way to go. Okay, let's take a deep breath. Um, there's two last issues I want to cover uh, and just have you consider before we wrap up this series. One is a recent trend among Christian nationalists who um, are promoting the idea that Christians should leave blue cities, leave blue states, meaning liberal or Democrat cities, and escape up to red places in the country where they can establish sort of Christian regions for those who want to live a more Christian lifestyle. So there's a huge movement, for example, to flee up to Idaho uh, or other places, rural places in the country like Montana. Um, I guess you could say to run off to places that are, are safe spaces for Christians. But once again, I want to challenge that premise and ask the question, is that biblical? Is that what the New Testament calls us to do as Christ followers? And we don't have to look far. Look in the book of Acts, for example, as the church was expanding. Did Peter and Paul go towards hostile areas or did they avoid them to try to find safer places to plant churches? Well, of course not. And anybody that's arguing that Christians should get up and flee places that are hostile to them or, or flee from wicked governments doesn't know their church history. We don't have to look far. The apostles did not go searching for cities that would welcome them. When they were spreading the gospel, they didn't look for virtuous cities. In fact, places like Ephesus and Corinth were some of the most wicked places in the Greek world in those days. And yet those are exactly the places that the apostles went to. In fact, the more wicked those places were, the more essential it was to go there and to preach the gospel and establish churches. And again, they weren't going there to try to build governments or to try to build nations that would bow to God's law. They went to establish churches in those cities and then encourage believers to live faithful lives within that hostile environment. So listen, God has given us the freedom to live where we like. And if you are led by the Lord to get up and move your family to some other place, you have the freedom to do so. But this whole strategy of I'm going to flee dark places or I'm going to flee blue cities or blue states for the purpose of the gospel, that's just not biblical. And if you're trying to escape to red areas in order to isolate yourself from the world, um, A, that's not going to work because wickedness is all around you. And just when you think you found a place that's better than where you're leaving, you're going to find that there's evil there too. But B, it limits your ability to be salt and light in, in the place that God had planted you before. So just be very cautious before you get up and leave and think that is going to solve all my problems. Okay, uh, issue number two. I know that nobody watching this video thinks that somehow we can override God's sovereignty or God's will. We know he's sovereign. And so that means we know that he is going to do what he pleases with any people group and with any nation. Well, if that's true, what if God has given America over to its sinful desires? Think about this. What if God has no plans to revive this country, only to sustain believers like you and I in the midst of all of this wickedness? Are you okay with that? Well, I hope you are because that's actually biblical. That can happen. And we have examples in the Bible. In Romans chapter 1, Paul tells us that that's exactly what God does at times. He turns a nation over to its own desires and to the consequences of its sin as a, a judgment against them. We see it in the Old Testament. In the book of Judges, Yahweh gave Israel over to her enemies 
over and over again because of their constant rebellion. You look at the book of Jeremiah where God says to the prophet, don't even waste your time praying for this people because my mind and my will is made up. They will go into exile. I will judge them for their sin. And sadly, friends, that might be God's plan for America. Now, does that mean we stop doing what we're supposed to be doing? Of course not. We keep speaking truth into the marketplace. We keep preaching the gospel. We, we have to do that because we don't know the mind of God. We don't know the future. But if he chooses not to revive us, will we accept that from his hand? I hope so, because he's sovereign, right? Now, I know a Christian nationalist would say, well, Jeff, you know, you're just accepting defeat. No, it's not defeatism. It's just biblical truth. So this informs our practical theology. We have to teach both sides of this coin. Yes, we keep seeking to influence culture with our voices and with our values, but we also prepare ourselves for the possibility that we're gonna to have to endure the continuing downfall of our nation and possibly great persecution coming our way. Both those things have to be taught and encouraged from the church. And again, a Christian nationalist might say, well, then you don't really want to win. But my answer is, yes, I'd prefer if we win. But it's far more important that I just live out my life as a faithful servant, trusting God, trusting his promises, and trusting that his will is always best for me, for my church, and for this nation. And by the way, here's a really good way to wrap up this series. We will win someday. The victory is assured. Look at your Bibles. We know how this story ends. We will win. Christian nationalists like to use this term Christendom, the establishment of Christendom. Well, guess what? That will be established someday. It's just a matter of timing. When Jesus returns to govern the earth, we will have that. So we will win in the end. But that timing, of course, is up to the Lord himself, not to us. And it's nothing, there's nothing we can do to make him return. In the meantime, as we await for that glorious moment when our Savior returns, let's you and I continue to press forward in the things that we're called to do. Let's strengthen ourselves in our own spiritual lives. Let's grow deeply rooted in the faith so that we can endure whatever comes down the pike. And let's make sure that we strengthen our churches. Again, for whatever comes our way, our churches will be rock solid, will be linked arm in arm and ready to go. Okay, well, that's enough for today, guys. Thank you once again for joining me on this journey through Christian nationalism. I hope it's been encouraging. I hope it's inspired you to trust in the Lord's sovereign plan more. Listen, next week we're starting a whole new series, so make sure you subscribe to the channel, like it, watch for it, whatever you need to do to be informed about the new series that's coming up next week. Until then, friends, stay unshakable because we have an unshakable faith and keep loving each other well. Talk to you soon.